You are listening to a Jesus Film Project podcast, The Unheard Story, where we tell stories that the world needs to hear. Hi, and welcome to The Unheard Story podcast. This is your host, Laura Melema. And today you're going to hear a special recording. This was done over a year and a half ago, and Joe and I were able to sit down with Mari and Billy Erasmus and hear so many of the wonderful stories that they have encountered by just following what God had told them to do. You'll just hear a theme throughout this whole thing, that where God tells you to go, you just do it and he'll make a way. You'll hear several miraculous stories, and you'll hear Mari share about sewing centers that she was told to open and how women came to Christ through these And you'll also hear about Billy's vision for Magdalena and how he got to meet the woman that he was told to make that film for. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. We started going to Afghanistan to see what we could do. And that is exactly why God brought us to Paris. Mm. Because that's when I saw the widows and, and, and realized that we had to do something. I came back and, and I shared it with her and I said to her, honey, we, I don't know, but, but, You've got to, we've got to do something. We can't just do nothing. And so the next time I went in, it was like a month or two later, she went with me. Well, it was after that first trip. Um, but it was very relevant what somebody mentioned today, that if God calls you to do a job and you, and you don't want to do it, he'll find somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I was lucky that God honored that request and... Um, he used me, but I went with him the first time, and uh, it was just just these ghosts walking around with their burkas, and I thought, how on earth are we ever going to get under that rail? It's just impossible. I mean, they didn't want to come near people, um, and I didn't know anything about them. So the f- next time we went into Afghanistan, he had a contact that was doing some distribution underground and they were Christians, and we asked if they could connect us with some widows. I raised money. I was going to buy them sewing machines and see if I can get them just to earn some money or something, you know. So this, this Christian couple said, yes, they could get some widows together. Uh, in, they in would a couple. call them seekers, you know. Yeah. They think people that were seeking, you know. And they have to be very careful to find people that they can trust, you know, because they could be informants. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, I raised money for 40 sewing machines, and wow. he went in before me, and he'd phone me and he'd say, there's 50, and I'd raise some more. And then eventually <laughs> there were 60, and I'd... Where did you put all these? Like where? No, we bought them locally. Okay. What, what we decided to do, we'd buy everything locally so that we okay. wouldn't have to... They wouldn't rely on us. They'd have to be something that they can use. Now, they were all these hand-cranked machines because they don't have electricity. Okay. So we got there... And um, there were 133 widows. Mm-hmm. That's now, what you were expecting. Now I'm talking to the Lord again. I'm saying, Lord, <laughs> you know I've got money for 60 sewing machines. What's going on yet? <clears throat> and he so clearly said to me, you just love them. I said, yes, I do love them. And I've got to give them sewing machines. And I've got money for 60 sewing machines. You know? And I'm, <laughs> I'm telling God what he should, should know, you know. And, of course, he knows. So, anyway... We decided we'd buy them food, and we had enough money just for 133 packets, and we called them love packs 
we've got them rice and oil and things that they would need. So we gave them that in in a love pack. We gave just them say food. that you know it was too dangerous to get them all together. So they were they were arranging these meetings at different homes, About seven different smaller homes. groups, you know, of twenty five or so. Yeah. And you know, when we told them um, our stories, we would give them our, our life stories. They started crying because they said, Western women we thought never had any problems because they got money, they got houses. How can you be so hurting? And they were crying. But they said to us, you know, you don't have to give us any food. The mere fact that you came to tell us that you loved us, something we've never heard before, was more than this money, this worth of, of food. So that was God's instruction to me, to love them. But when I left on the plane, I was in tears. I thought, now what did I do? I gave them a little packet of food would last less than a week. Now what? You know, and God just unraveled this whole plan as we went along. We started, and I asked this lady, the Christian lady, to get six ladies that she could trust and we could teach them to make quilts. And this was really the story that I told you last night. And while they were making quilts, they would teach them about Jesus. Mm. So that that was the way we could get under the burqa. That's great. So we would pay them $1.50 for each quilt they make. And um, they had such community between the two of them in the group. Um, they would come in, they'd take the burqa off, and they'd oh. laugh and chat and really have a good relationship. And then it's amazing, and I, I had to raise all this money myself. Wow. To pay these, um, you've got to start up cost. You, we make this room pretty. We put a carpet. We put curtains. We give them food. We make fire, uh, a little stove for them in the winter. So we make them feel as if they're valued. And then once we started the one group, God would give me an extra bunch of money. And I said, what now? And he says, another one. I said, okay, <laughs> make another one. He always put something before me, which I never expected. So during the four years, um, we made these quilts. So people from the States was giving us the funding. We would pay the, the there was an NGO working, a non-governmental organization was working in, in um, Afghanistan. So we would transfer the money to him because I didn't want to put them into the um, situation when they got a hand or too much money. Sure. So they would make 100 quilts and then take it to this guy, and he, did, he would pay them $10 a quilt because it was $7 for the material and then okay. for the ladies to, to uh, earn money. So this NGO would take them the quilts, and he would distribute them into the needy areas. Hmm. So they were never, ever sold. Hmm. So I always said it was like a circle of blessing, oh, you know. Cool, the, yeah. The people in the States were blessed to give. They were blessed because they received money. The people getting the quilts were blessed because some of them was, I mean, in the winter, it's so cold. It's one distribution they they made and they sent me a photograph. They said, this woman would have died without this because wow. it was so cold. But anyway, in the four years that we were working there, um, we actually know of 42 that received Christ and we baptized 11. Mm. So... Um, that was a seed that we could sow. You know, we made about um, 14,000 14, wow. quilts. Mm. And uh, and I said to the, the lady that was training them, I said, you know, if we make one quilt in the year about Jesus, we're successful. 
don't go for 100 quilts and they're not hearing about Jesus because then we're not successful. So that was the target they was doing. And what was so neat about this, Willie's vision for getting the Magdalena made, could we could bring that to closure because the diary was made just before we finished working there. And the men aren't normally allowed into the women's area. But I asked this, these women, I said, I bought you a new DVD machine and I don't know how to set it, set it up. Can my husband come in and help? They said, sure. So he came in there and he could watch his vision being completed. Mm -hmm. oh. So it was your vision, Magdalena? Tell us yeah. a little bit about yeah. that. No, it's just fine. Because then he could see the woman crying mm. and knowing that they are valuable to Jesus. Yeah. You know? So it was so great that he could be there and experience that his vision had reached the people that was actually made for. Mm. Just after the, uh, the war, and the Taliban were driven out of the country, and for the first time, uh, Western NGOs could go in and provide whatever. And I mean, there was... I can't say hundreds, but there were many, many of them, you know, and they did medical stuff and food and blankets and you name it, you know, education and everything. And so I was part of a group that that we, um, that was distributing food and uh, blankets in a village just outside of Kabul. And uh, we went there as a village of about 3,000 people. The whole village was bombed, not by Allied forces, but by the Taliban, because they would dominate a village, and if the village didn't succumb to them, they would wipe them all out. They, they, they poisoned all the vineyards. They cut off all the fruit trees. It's, it's a terrible, terrible uh, group of people, these guys. You know, this um, is, people that talk about this, they don't know what they're talking about. In any case, so there was about 2,000 people or 3,000 people left in this village, and just some people had nowhere to go. There was no electricity, no water, no nothing. They just lived in these out, you know, the bombed up buildings, you know. So this is where we went to do the distribution. And so um, during the, during the distribution, you get, you know, uh, time off and whatever somebody else starts doing. So I was walking around, watching around, looking around the village, and I, and I saw this group of women sitting in this room about the size of this room here, and... Uh, there were no windows, no, no roof, you know. They, and they were all in burqas, and they all had children with them, about 25. And they were sitting, and there was this guy standing at the door with a stick, you know, a big white beard. And and they would sit there, and they would talk to each other, and you would just hit them over the head. I saw the one lady trying, you know, and he hit her on the arm, and you could see under that burqa the pain I almost assaulted him. I'll tell you, I was so mad. But, and I asked the one one of the workers there, I said, who are these women? And he said, they're the widows. And I said, why are they in the room? You know what? He said, oh, they're waiting for after the distribution. If anything is left over, they could have some. Oh, my goodness, man. That's, you know, they can't, they can't work. They don't have a husband. They have no food. Whatever. Anyway, so he then brought them out of this room by just, lifting the stick, and they all jumped up. Mm. And he did this, and they all ran outside, huddling together like this, you know. And then he'll pick up the stick, and they'll stop, mm. sit down. And they'll do this, and they'll jump up, and they start running. I looked at this, and I, I couldn't believe that you could herd people like that. Yeah, treating them like animals. Like sheep. Yeah. 
I got this picture of Scotland, you know, with this little kelpie with the run with the sheep and then the sheep stop and then you run this and the sheep run that way. It's exactly the picture I saw. And I just looked out of this and I just shocked to my system. I just couldn't handle it. Because I knew at that stage already, because we have already been involved with Afghanistan, couldn't go in, but working from Pakistan, you know, and heard so many stories of, of, of atrocities against women, um, you know, that, as I said, they're not even allowed to drive in a taxi. I've actually got a picture of that. They have to sit trunks. in the trunk. Yeah. And they put a stick up to keep the trunk a little open. Wow. That was amazing. I mean, can you imagine, you know, the dignity? I mean... In any case, and, and one girl said to them in that group that her sister was, was barren and she was given to a guy and he found out she couldn't have children. He exchanged her for a donkey. Oh. Can you think? That's horrible. And, you know, and another one said that her sister was pregnant and the sister said to her, if this is a girl, I'm going to kill her. Because I don't want a girl to grow up in this society. And sure enough, it was. And somebody split on her and they stoned her oh. to death. They bury them in the ground and just the head sticks out and then they stone her. Oh. So that's what's going on there. And so this whole war, you know, today we can say about whether it should have happened or not have happened or whatever happened. God and, 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 and Eric Watt today mentioned that. God liberated that country for the gospel, not for anything else not political, so that the gospel could get in there. They were like, we knew of seven believers, all the Christian workers there knew about seven believers in the whole country, 40 million people. And today there are thousands of underground churches inside the country because the gospel could go in. And that's why God brought this all about. So um, this whole issue with, 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 with seeing these women and the way they were treated just brought this incredible compassion in my heart. And I just thought, Lord, how are we ever, ever, ever going to, like you said, how do you get under that burqa? Yeah. I, I can't speak the language. Even if I could, they can't speak to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if she had a, a Bible, they won't take it. She can't speak to foreigners. Right. And even if she could take it, she can't read it. Yeah. She can't read. So what, what are we going to do? You know, there has to be a solution somehow. And that's when I was thinking, because I know the Jesus film so well, I, I thought to myself, this is what they need. They need to see Jesus that loves them. They need to see a man because it's the man that is oppressing them so much. They need to see a man that loves them. And and that's why when, when, when she talks about this one uh, last night when she mentioned that story, that... Um, when, when, when this person said to her, you know, this man loves you, how? I don't even know him. How can he love me? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the word doesn't even fit in their vocabulary. Right. Never I could be loved. Wow. And so that's when I thought we should have a movie because if they could see, like Bill Wolf said, see and hear mm-hmm. that Jesus loves them, um, they could be restored. And Laura and I got a chance to be in the Yucatan um, and show oh. the Jesus film with, yeah. a, with a group down there called mm-hmm. Message from Minds. Mm-hmm. And they showed the Magdalena. Mm-hmm. And what was so remarkable to me is the women, of course, were crying, tears streaming down their 
their faces. They were so touched. But then so many men were touched as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was... And this is not a culture that shows... This is not a culture that shows emotion. The Mayan people they don't, are exactly. very stoic. They don't. And it was just so encouraging that it's, it, it is a, a message for women, but the men mm-hmm. resonated with it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably more men came forward because yeah. we showed showed the children, the children yeah. version yeah. one night, no, and, Lena and then children yeah. and that night. Yeah. Yeah. And the men were mm-hmm. very, very touched mm-hmm. as well as the women. Yeah, we you know, have... How big our God is. I mean, Willie's vision was for those 25 Afghan widows. Look what God's done. Uh We've got 180 languages now in the Magdalena. And we can't keep up. I mean, I'll share tonight what God's doing with the ministry with Magdalena. It's just amazing. Uh Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, for all these people <laughs> <laughs> that don't get to be here tonight. We're so this is tonight. so encouraging, guys. Yeah. I, I really appreciate your time. This sure. Awesome. Well, so, you yeah. know, when we got to Orlando, <clears throat> they made me the Magdalena coverage, uh, the Magdalena um, coordinator. Oh, okay. And I said, okay, what's that? And I didn't know what I was going to do. And by God's grace, again, he gave us um, a strategy. So we are telling stories, oral stories, and uh, we tell it all around the Magdalena movie. So we call our our team the most, it's a Magdalena oral story training. So we go into an area, um, we get invited, and we have about 30 women that um, we train to tell these stories, and they're all connected to the, the Magdalena. And we teach them to craft stories from a book. We give them scripture, and they craft stories. And they also craft, we teach them to craft stories from, from the Bible, without the actual book. And we teach them to do drama from the stories. So the last uh, five stories we teach them is about the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus. So they actually do it in drama form. I never knew this. Yes, and um, but our main challenge is for them to make multiplying disciples. So it's got to be well. We got these acronyms in the crusade um, ministry. You know, there are hundreds of them. <laughs> okay. So we've got a couple of couple more. Like the most is one of them. And then we've got the finger that we show them the hand. The first finger we say is, is uh, it represents acts. So it's. Accurate, it's got to be accurate to God's word. It's got to be cultural, correct, and adaptable. It's got to be transferable, and it's got to be short and simple. So to be able to do it, be transferable, it has to be short. Three minutes is the maximum of the story. So tonight I'll tell you a story. But um, the main thing is that we are teaching them to make the multiplying disciples. So we've done this, this training now in 23 countries, mm-hmm. and um, wow. we've got 32,400 people in groups. Oh my goodness! Really, in this Ready? in this in this four, t- four years that we've done. That's amazing. 2,200 groups. Yeah. Wow. And he's been more excited about this than yeah. I have because <laughs> <laughs> how many more? How many more? And he's keeping that. score, and it's just amazing <laughs> to see how God's using the Magdalena and. You know, when we go into a country and we do training, it's not just women. We've had in um, 
in um, Rwanda, we had 12 pastors that came and did this training. And I felt very intimidated because I didn't know how to handle that. But they were so teachable, and they came to me and they said, so it's okay if we use this from the pulpit because we teach them this is the Word of God. Yeah. So I said to him, you know, is this the Word of God? And he says, of course. He says, that's a stupid question I asked you. Of course I can use it from my pulpit. He says, now my, my, my people will understand and, and remember my sermons. Mm -hmm. Because I challenged him. I said, how many of you can remember two weeks ago the sermon that you preached? They couldn't. Mm. So with this, they go out, and what we do is we teach them three stories, then we send them into the neighborhood, and they go and they tell these stories to people. So in Rwanda, they went out for two hours, they came back with 50 people that received Christ. Wow. And it's, it's just, um, it's amazing how God's using this. It's just, it's, it's just exploding. And we've only, I've only got three people on my team that we're wow. doing, going and uh, do the training. So, oh my busy. but you know what's what's so key now? Cool. I mean, um, we've done this training now in Africa. We've done a lot of training in Africa. So now, what God's doing? He's using the people we've trained to go and train others because it's a trainer's training. So it's not all depending on me. They take ownership, <clears throat> and when they make it cultural, it's easier for them to go into the country and tell about the stories and what it is for me. Um, we trained somebody in Kenya, and she is going with somebody else we trained in Zambia, and they're teaming up, and they're going to train somebody in Mozambique. Hmm. A lady from Ethiopia, she's got 27,000 women in groups. Oh, she, <laughs> she translated this booklet that we have into her mother tongue, and she went to Djibouti. Now, Djibouti is a close country. Okay. She trained 23 women. And, and um, this, well, seven of them uh, actually received Christ. They didn't know that they were not Christians. Mm. Mm. So she went to Djibouti and she trained them there. We trained people, um, the refugees from Iran coming to Turkey. Seven people of those people, of those refugees, wanted to be baptized mm. at the training. So God is opening this for different people and I mean we've done training on the Philippines in Turkey we're going to Kazakhstan now in April mm. in uh, June well he's going to come with we're going to do it in uh, Tajikistan so it's there's not an, a limit to the area or to the culture you know it's just God's just opening this That's so great. it's so exciting to see what he's doing so when they show when they do these dramas then do you show the film well we start off connected? the training no 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 okay we start off the training by showing the, the movie. And we make it a fun night. We show them the movie and give them popcorn. Okay. Make it American thing. <laughs> and then we, the next day we start with our, with our three stories. Okay. And these are the tips and the tools. And we also have the thumb that we show them. You've got permission for omission, but it's bad to add. Now, when we teach them the creation story, we don't have to tell them to remember day one, God created this great, great, Day two, he created that. We just say, in the beginning, there was God. And he spoke everything into being. He created the sun and the moon and the stars. So we cover everything, but he doesn't have to specifically say sure. on the day. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. As long as it's accurate to God's word right. and it's cultural, yeah. then it's fine. You know, yeah. But it's bad to add. I mean, we, for instance, you won't say, oh, God, when he came into the garden looking for Adam, he sat down and had an apple. No, it's not yeah. in the Bible, so you won't add that. Right. 
And then um, we, we make it that they have to tell the story, you know, show it, don't tell it. Um, so we, we actually talk um, like Jesus said, go and find your husband. So you don't say, and Jesus said to her, she must go and find her husband. Sort of okay. You see, yeah. so you've got to tell the story in his words yeah. the way he said it. Mm. So we keep it accurate, cultural, and transferable. Yeah. So it's a, an easy way to get the gospel out to so many people. Yeah. And it's not just for literate people, illiterate people. It's for literate people as well. You know, so, but we have so many people come in there and they say, you know, we can't read and we can't write will this apply for us? And they come, and they are our best students because they remember the story so well. Mm-hmm. We've had a blind lady turn up there and she said, maybe I can just listen to what you say. And she listened to all the stories and she could repeat them all. So in the four yeah. days we teach them 14 stories. Wow. And they go back equipped. So they've got the Bible, not in here, but in here. So we teach them to visualize it, not to memorize it. Right. Like the, 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 the ladies, there were six of them that came from Afghanistan to Turkey for training. Mm. And they were so excited because they said they could go back. They're not carrying anything. They've got no Bibles with them. They have it's nothing with them. It's all up here. Yeah. Now, are they risking their lives even coming? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, it was amazing visas. because we did um, a training mm-hmm. and they applied for visas. They said they wanted to go for um, a leadership training or something. So they applied for visas and half of them got the visas and the other didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So by the time the, the training was finished, the other, the other ladies got their visas. So they asked us if we couldn't please do another training just for those people. Mm-hmm. So we set up another training and they came in. Okay, and uh, it, was, it was just amazing to see them together. It was, they felt the freedom that they could share with each other. You know, It was just amazing mm-hmm. to see them. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't even know that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got one last question for you guys, and you kind of alluded to it already. You've been talking about heart languages and translating into the language of the people group that you're going to. What's the importance of the heart language for people that might not be familiar with the Jesus film or, or people that might know the Jesus <clears throat> film? But um, from your perspective, how, how important is the heart language? You know, I often say to people, because we, we had that question quite often in South Africa, people would ask us that question. Um, and my first experience with that was when I did the Zulu, which was one of the largest um, people groups in, Africa, in South Africa. And we did the premiere up in the area where they speak Zulu. And um, a pastor came to me after the movie and he, and he said to me, he said, sir, he says, I want to tell you something. He says, you know, one of my people from the congregation came to me tonight and they said, Pastor, we've always known that Jesus is the white man's God. But tonight we saw him speaking Zulu so fluently. We know now we can pray to him in our language because he will understand us. Well, that's cool. And I think the, the heart language situation is that, you know, there's, there's something, if you, even in my country, when we did the Jesus film the first time in my language, we use the theological terminologies, the one that's preached from the pulpits, the one that they speak on TV, the one that they speak in the universities. That's not the language that people speak. And so uh, it was redone after about three or four years because the people from the South complained and said they don't understand half of the movie, yeah. the, the words we were using. 
So they did it for, for them, and they used some of those voices that use their slang um, to make it more because that's we don't we don't speak this theological language with each other. We speak the normal sure. kitchen Dutch, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> that's exactly what it is with a with a heart language. And people expect when God speaks to you, He's going to speak to you in your heart language because that's He created you. Mm-hmm. And there's just something that happens when you hear Him talk in your own language. Um, he's speaking to me. You know the Gamo movie. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the the one the, the the guy I can't remember his name that that funded the language. He makes a comment there at one time. He says, "The people, God is speaking to the people, or to the children, and the children are responding. That's what's happening there, and that's exactly what it is. God speaks to you in your heart language, and then He expects a response." Um, that's exactly what we are talking about. And that's why I think it's so important. You know, we found so many places, especially in the Middle East, where we would want to do a local Arabic. Mm-hmm. And especially the staff would say, oh, no, no, you know, everybody understands this language. Well, you do it and you take it to the villages and you find out these people are all over it. Because that's what they speak at the dinner table. That's what they speak in their houses. That's what the kids speak when they play soccer. <laughs> we have a language called Baghdadi. It's a, it's almost like a slang language in Iraq. Yeah. But it's spoken in the villages. And everybody makes fun of them. But there are millions of them mm-hmm. that speak Baghdadi. It's almost like a, a, a thrown-together language, you know, like a, like a trade language. Yeah. Go to the market and there's different languages, but everybody understands Baghdadi. Yeah. And... For years, our staff has opposed this thing. They didn't want to translate it and record it because of this reason. Sure. Oh, the churches don't want it. The churches don't think it's good. Yeah, for sure. We're not making it for the churches. <laughs> Until we got permission to do it, and the staff had to admit they were wrong yeah. when they saw the effect of this thing in the villages, and people Wait, flocked to listen to it. And Jesus speaks my language. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's using he's my, my terminologies <laughs> like like pigeon English, you know, yeah. for the for the Solomon Islands, you know. Yeah. Wow, Jesus uses the same slang we're using, you know, so he can identify. I'll tell you the story the way I told it last night. Okay. When I was young and I was growing up, my father owed somebody a large amount of money. And to settle that debt, he gave me to be married to a man. I was 14 and he was 50. He already had two other wives. I have three children at the moment. I've got two daughters and a son. And when I go to the market, I have to take my son with me for protection because he has to report if I speak to any strangers or foreigners. He tells my mother-in-law, who is in charge of us now because my husband died in the war. As we were in the market, I saw a foreigner, a lady, and she started approaching me and I froze because I was so scared of the consequences if she made contact with me. I also saw in her hand that she had a book. I didn't know what that book was, but I couldn't read anyway, so I forgot about that. I then heard that there was going to be um, a group of ladies that's going to be taught to make quilts, and they would be paid to do this. So. 
I asked my mother-in-law if I could join, join this group. And because I was going to bring money into the house, she gave me permission. So I went there and there were five other ladies and we had a lot of things in common. For instance, we were all widows and we had abused and we had a lot of hurt that we were working through. So we started trusting each other and we could start sharing our lives with each other. And the lady that was training us to make quilts, she started doing something that I was very uncomfortable with. She started reading out of a book and I knew it wasn't our holy book. But she told us that there's a man that loved us. I said, what? How can this be? I don't know this man. How can he love me? Nobody loves me. But she also said that he knew everything about us and he would forgive our sins. I couldn't believe this because how can anybody forgive my sins? I had so many. But she told me that he died on the cross because of our sins. He took all our sins on top of him and he died for us. I started believing in Jesus then and I started falling in love with Jesus and I became his followers. And it's so wonderful to know that I can share this with my children, but I have to be very careful because if my mother-in-law knows that I've become a follower of Jesus, I would have very severe consequences. So I want to live the rest of my life just following Jesus and I love him. Mm. That's my story. Mm. Mm. And you met many of these, I mean, these are the women that came to your classes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, these are the five, five, six of the women. And this is the kind of story that we heard. The one woman, she said that she was um, a very violent mother. She had a little, little mm. boy and she used to take her temper out on him. Mm. She used to beat him. Mm. She says, and she came to our sewing center and God just changed her heart. So she came, became quieter and her mother-in-law said to her, why aren't you beating your son anymore? What's wrong? What's different? She says, but I can't tell her that I've become a follower of Jesus. So I don't have that frustration in my life anymore. I want to tell you a story about seeing that you were in Tajikistan. Now Tajikistan, this is a couple of years back, <clears throat> they went to the Pamir Mountains, and it's mostly Islam, you know, Muslim area. And they got stoned. They had to run away, you know, left the equipment and flee. And so out of this village. So they were back and they got other equipment again, and, you know, and they were praying about this village, you know, and that God would open up a door for them to go back to this area. And as this one morning they were praying, the one guy felt like God was saying, they must go now, you know. And, and he shared it with the other guys, and they were like, can't be God telling you that. <laughs> you can't go back there. But they all prayed, and, and eventually they all felt, yeah, this is what they had to do, you know. And they thought, well, we don't know how it's going to work, but, you know, here we go. So they loaded the truck, put the equipment in the back, and they had two boxes of Bibles in there. And so they're on their way to this village. So, and there's a lot of road roadblocks, you know, so police blocks. So the first roadblock they get to 
guy comes up to the truck and he says, where are you guys going? And they, and they said, oh, you know, we're going south, you know. And I want to really say where they, which village, but they we're going to that area. And uh, the guy said, oh, he says, um, the, the lieutenant here wants a ride. He's going there. And so, uh, can you ride with you? And they were, well, you can't say no. I mean, so they said, yes, yeah, sure. So the guy jumps out and he said, no, 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 I'm going to get in the back. <laughs> they, you know, don't get in the back. He said, no, I'm going to get in the back. So he jumps into the back and he sits on top of the projector. <laughs> oh, God. So now they pray oh. that he doesn't stop looking what's in the boxes and what's he, what's he sitting on, you know, he's sitting in the back. But they get to the next stop. And they stop them, and the guy comes up to the car, and this lieutenant puts his head out the window at the back, and he says, "That's okay, they with me." Wow. You know, oh, okay, wow. and they're through. <laughs> Four stops, and they never get searched for nothing. You know, with this guy in the back. Oh, so eventually, goodness. they stop for tea or whatever, and so he's asking them, "So where are you actually going?" And they go, "Oh, we're going to this village." Oh, that's exactly where I'm going. <laughs> so, <Uh-oh. laughs> okay. She said, so can you drop me at my house? I said, yeah, sure, you know, yeah, we'll do that. So they take him to his house, they stop, and they, he bites them in for tea now, and they're sitting in the ground. He said, so what are you coming to do oh, <laughs> in this village? And they said, well, you know, we, we were hoping to show a movie. Really? A movie? About what? No, it's a cultural movie. <laughs> the prophet Isa. Oh, what do you need to do this? No, they didn't have permission. <laughs> he said, okay. He said, where do you want to show it? No, maybe on the square or wherever. He said, oh, no problem. So he picks up the phone. He calls the mayor, who's his brother. Wow. <laughs> and arranges for him that these guys will come and can show the movie that night in the square. He says, and, and by the way, he says, I'll get my police to come protect you. He says, because there's bad elements in this village. So I'll get them to stand around and protect you. And so that night they went out, showed the Jesus film, and the policemen were standing around them, protecting them from the crowd that stoned them. (laughs) Can you imagine the consequences of picking this guy up and him taking him through all these posts? Clearly not an accident. Yeah, exactly. That's where God said, go, and you go. Wow, that's amazing. I feel like that's been a uh, theme through this whole uh, time we've had with you, is... God says do something, you got to do it. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Film Project podcast, The Unheard Story, where we tell stories that the world needs to hear.